0: Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report. My name is Joel Penfield, joined, as always, by Alex Duvall. What's up, my friend?
1: doing good, Joel. Um, Rebounding from our trip to Omaha, watching a little uh, College World Series action on TV. Got uh, Jack Leiter and Vanderbilt facing NC State. At the moment, as we're recording, it is 1-0 NC State after 6. So we may react to this game at some point. I just want anybody listening to this on Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever we get this thing up – to know that you know kind of what we're reacting to so just in case um yeah anyway just enjoying really enjoying baseball being in full swing
0: oh yeah uh, you know we'll, we'll talk about our time in omaha later but there's there's just nothing better than the college world series like it's very hard to replicate that environment ex- except for maybe you know a world's a pivotal world series game but it feels like just the atmosphere in that stadium was so much fun you got you know guys you know in their eight you know late teens, early twenties, playing some of the biggest baseball they've ever played on one of the biggest stages in the country. And it was, it was a ton of fun to watch. Um, I wish we were there for that Texas Mississippi state game that was played on Sunday, but man, it's such a, such a fun time for, for baseball as a whole, not just college, like for the game, for the, the sport as a whole, the college world series is, is not, there's nothing better.
1: No, that is a fact. Um, You you can't, we were talking about at the game. We were sitting there in the stands and you look out because we're behind on play. We had great seats. We look out at the field and Vanderbilt's black and gold. They're playing, uh, Arizona who's red and blue. And in the outfield you see orange and green and red and blue and purple. And you see all these different colors from all the teams that are there, especially that opening weekend. It reminds me, I mean, not really of like the opening weekend of spring training, but a little bit, in that people aren't there, or I, not everybody's at the game because it's win or lose, do or die. There, there obviously are fans there that are for that, but like you have Virginia fans that are just there to watch a Vanderbilt game. They're just enjoying baseball, and I think there's something about watching people just enjoy the game, and you're not worried about winning or losing. That's not, you know, it's not playoff baseball per se, like in October it's just a different vibe and you can't replicate that vibe, like you said. So it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, I go to the college, I go to at least one college world series game every year. And I just had an absolute ball uh, watching Kamar Rocker pitch against Arizona uh, on Saturday.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. I said, well, we'll talk a little more in depth about our time there uh, here in a little bit for right now. Uh, We're going to get, we're back to uh, doing what we've done on this podcast for the last few weeks that talking about the week that was in the Royals organization. There's a lot of good storylines and a lot of stuff to talk about. Alex is going to run through things uh, pretty quickly, but we'll, you know, we'll discuss them here uh, after that. So what, what were some of the big storylines to you uh, for the week that was?
1: Yeah, let's start in low A. So the Columbia Fireflies, they go into Augusta. Or I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry. They were hosting Augusta this past week. They go three and two. They got rained out on Sunday, so they only got five games in. They go three and two against Augusta. The offense has been kind of dragging a little bit um, for Columbia lately, but they did get a huge outing out of Ben Hernandez. Ben Hernandez with his best professional start to date. Five innings pitched, two hits, one walk, no run, seven strikeouts. Um, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I went back and looked, and his. Called and swinging strike rate was um, like over 27%, 28%, 29%. Under 30, but high 20s. It was really good. Um, lots of swings and misses. His fastball is working up to 98. Curveball was very good. The changeup is what it is. Um, it was really a lot of fun to watch. Uh, ben Hernandez is not a guy that – I just. I, I worry sometimes about the Royals with prep and really young pitchers. And so when the Royals signed Ben out of the second round, I was like, you know, In some organizations, Ben Hernandez would be great. With the Royals, I was like, eh, I don't know. But the development of his curveball has just been incredible to watch. Um, It is nothing like what we saw pre-draft last year, so really good to see that coming along. The fastball being 98 is obviously fantastic, so a lot of fun watching him pitch this week. Again, Columbia goes 3-2, and and they are home again, I believe. Yeah, they're home again this week hosting Myrtle Beach, so um, that was Columbia.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Ben Ben Hernandez, but I think a lot of that is I have an affinity for dudes with a good changeup. Like if you have – like your fastball is where it is, that's going to help you along. But having that kind of secondary pitch out the gate at an you know, 18-years-old, when you saw those first couple of videos of his changeup, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's going to work. That If you can keep working that other secondary, like, he's going to be just fine. And he's been really good in his last couple of starts. And seeing his fastball up into the – mid to upper 90s with regularity is such an encouraging sign. I'm with you that when the, when I see the Royals or teams in general with prep pitching, it really is a coin toss, especially, you know, even in the top five or 10 picks, it can be a coin toss. It, it, that is even to a greater degree when you get into the second, third, fourth rounds and on down. And it seems like he's really starting to come into his own, figure things out. And it's really encouraging that he is seeing those successes not early on, but later on down the line. like as He's getting better as the season has gone, which is incredibly impressive, and I look forward to see uh, what he can do the rest of the way.
1: 100%. Um, moving to Quad Cities, to the high A affiliate of the Royals. Um, absolutely fantastic week for them. They go in, they sweep the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers uh, in a five-game set. They also got rained out on Sunday. I want to look, because I don't think Wisconsin's record is – Well, so before the game, before the series began, they were 18 and 18. So we're talking about a 500-ball club that Columbia – or I'm sorry, that Quad Cities brings in and sweeps. Um, uh, Jason Guzman. Jason Guzman damn near hit 500 for the week. He was absolutely fantastic. He's been great all year for Quad Cities. Um, I I have been so impressed with the way that, A, he's handling center field, a new position for him, but, B – the bat looks so much more polished. Like before, and this applied to Jason Guzman offensively and defensively, you could see the ceiling. Like there was clear potential. And then you could see the floor of, well, he may be too erratic to make it to the big leagues. Um, but he was really good. Love what I'm seeing from him. I believe he hit – yeah, he hit five doubles this past week, so really good week for him And high A. Michael Massey hit three – Sorry, I'm doing math in my head. 357. uh, 357 with a couple of home runs this past week. He's been really good. He got off to a slow start. I believe he was hitting like 160 through the first two weeks. And he has really turned it on of late. He's elevating the baseball more. He's got the second best strikeout rate in the Royals farm system. So he's been really good. Will Klein. um, Will Klein pitched twice. I'm looking through his game logs. Struck out. Uh, he struck out nine in four innings and did not allow a run. Only allowed one hit in four innings. Um, when his fastball's on, he is elite uh, at that level. Um, Will Klein is. He, he's been pitching out of the bullpen, but I do think there's like a, a, there's a reason to give him extended innings still, even if maybe we misunderstood or misjudged what the Royals were going to do with him preseason. I really did think he was going to be a starter. It seems like the plan for him is to be out of the bullpen for now, um, which does affect, you know, overall value, but he has been fantastic. Uh, he's got one of the better strikeout rates in the Royal system right now. So really good week for quad cities all around uh, really good week for Jason Guzman. Really good week. Uh, Vinny Pasquantino now has 11 doubles on the year. So he's been really good. Um, Nick Lofton continues to put the ball in play. I think the power will come around. Nate Eaton is still on the I.L., so he didn't play. But otherwise, yeah, that was the week for Quad Cities.
0: Well, and you're also forgetting uh, Zach Hockey and Dante Biasi combined for a no-no. Now, it was like a five-walk no-hitter, but a no-hitter nonetheless. Um, they, I believe this all was like the ninth one in Quad Cities history. Uh, still a well, really cool sign well, to see. in team history. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was quite a it was awesome to see Zach Hockey. I believe was a high A central player or pitcher of the week uh, for his performance. Six innings, five strikeouts, couple of walks, no hits. So that was a really good performance, an encouraging sign for Zach Hockey as well. But another guy, Tucker Bradley, still hitting 321. The power hasn't quite come for him, but we've tweeted it. I've tweeted it, the dude just hits, and he's hit at at low A and high A to start this year. Uh, if that power starts to come around, he's a dude that's going to jump up our prospect rankings out of the field. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I, I had all these individual notes in front of me. I've totally irresponsibly forgot about the no hitter, so I apologize for that. Good call, good catch there. Yeah, Tucker Bradley has looked really good. He's putting the bat on the ball. Um, would like to see that power come around, but he has flash power. He had like, hit a week where he hit like a home run, a triple, and four doubles. So we've seen flashes of it. It's just a matter of. Um, putting it all together in double a the northwest arkansas naturals split the series san antonio three to three um clay dungan nick prado bobby Wood jr mj melendez all homered all had really good weeks um that team is electric to watch like the top half of the lineup clay dungan has a 120 wrc plus nick prado 175 mj melendez 136 bobby Wood jr 141 rudy martin 144 um so they just they have a really really good unit there at the double a nick prado leads all double a hitters and home runs now with 12 he had his 12th on sunday if you count bobby witt jr's fiasco he would also have 12 but as it is he and mj melendez have 11 which is good for second place in all of double a and, and so i don't mean just the double a central i mean all of double a um in terms of home runs, there. So, Nick Prado's first of 12, Bobby Wood Jr. and MJ Melendez are tied second for 11. Uh, Jonathan Heasley made two starts. The first one was just okay. The second one, he made some adjustments, looked really good. Um, I tweeted a video of his curveball. His curveball's got some crazy spin and depth to it. He hasn't missed the bats overall that you'd like to see. And I do still think he's a reliever long term but it's good to see that he's not getting squared up either. So it's kind of one of those – it's like purgatory for a pitcher. It's like you're not missing bats, but even when they are putting the bat on the ball, they're not hitting him super hard. They, they kind of were earlier in the year, but he's really gotten away from that. He's not getting torched anymore. So um, good to see him progress. Good to see him continue uh, to, to just kind of work around and get used to AA and, and to higher levels of the minor league baseball because his stuff will play. It's just really a matter of – for him – of um of learning how to navigate upper level hitters
0: yeah you know to speaking to my oklahoma state experience of watching john Heasley, he's flashed that curveball quite a bit and you saw that depth and break that it has to it that's the kind of thing he was flashing at oklahoma state i'm glad to see that come back um bobby witt jr i believe his ops or his way to runs creative plus is up around 140 now uh 141 and his OPS and his true ops is up to 913 so I mean, he, he's becoming the prospect that, that was advertised, averages as up 280. His strikeout rate's down, I think, 5% from where it was at the beginning of the year. His new strikeout, almost 30 to 32%, down to 25 I wish he would maybe walk a little more, but the bat-to-ball skills are so ridiculous. Uh, the stat cast numbers that he puts up when he does make contact, he's doing so much damage that you can live with that. And when I mean, he's spraying the ball everywhere. He's playing elite defense. He's running all over the place. Uh, it, it's fun to see Bobby Wood Jr. At, you know, be, start to truly become the guy that we all knew he was going to be. It was just a matter of time. And now that he's really settling in, I mean, he is absolutely tearing up that league and becoming one of the most feared hitters in all of minor league baseball. And another guy, we, we, we saw the stat line when we were in Omaha that uh, Jeffrey Del Rosario got a start for the, the Naturals. Now, it was a two-inning kind of bullpen-type game, but three punch-outs, no runs really encouraging sign for the 21 year old that has a ton of, a ton of uh, upside. His curveball is ridiculous. Uh, it, it was very encouraging to see that that sign from him.
1: Absolutely. Uh, let's move to Omaha, Omaha this past week hosted the Louisville bats, Hunter green and the Louisville bats uh, went four and two. So um, they are 29 and 12. Now which is one of the best records in all of minor league baseball. It's the most wins in triple a. So, um, Really good to see. Continue to see Omaha. They are going to lose a major piece of that lineup, though, as Ryan O'Hearn and his two fifty WRC plus um, are headed to the major leagues to fill in for Adalberto Mondesi. Um, Ryan O'Hearn, eleven percent walk rate, eighteen point three percent strikeout rate, thirteen eighty two OPS. I mean, he was just clobbering baseballs down there. So, and and by the way he wasn't just hitting baseballs hard. Um, He was hitting them in the air with regularity, which has always been the key for Ryan O'Hearn. Like, I don't mean to make this out to be, like, hyperbolic, but literally the only thing that Ryan O'Hearn didn't do well in his first two goes at Major League Baseball was hit the ball in the air. Um, He's doing that now. He only hit the ball on the ground in 21% of his uh, batted balls in Omaha, which is fantastic. And actually, by the way, that number was only 36% in the big leagues this year. So really he's, he's, he's made some adjustments. Now it's just more about like maximizing the efficiency of the launch angle, which I know is going to, to, to set some people on a stir, um, his strikeout rate in the big leagues was out of hand of 35%, but before he was around 26%, 28%. So before this year, his strikeout rate had been just fine for the, pow- for the power that he hits for. Um, anyway, Ryan O'Hearn had you know continued to rake this past week uh, for Omaha. Edward Oliveras continues to be really good, 178. Emmanuel Rivera has kind of been the star of the show. He hit five home runs last week, giving him 13 on the season. It can't really be stated how important that is for Emmanuel Rivera. That's coming into the season. I just – I, I kind of came off him a little bit because it's like, man, the bats and ball skills have been there. The defense has been there. It's just – he, he well, A, he doesn't walk at all. He's going to swing, which I still worry the big league pitchers will pick on him because of that. But the power is finally legit. And it's not like he's hitting wall scrapers over the short porch in left field. A lot of his home runs this week were – into the gap and right center. And so he's using power to all fields. He's hitting him to the deepest parts of the park, even if the deepest part of, you know, Warner Park is is not as deep as Kaufman. That home run is still a double in the gap, right? So good to see Emmanuel Rivera begin to hit. It's good to see some of these. I don't want to call Emmanuel Rivera 4A before he gets to the show, but you need different types of 4A guys to fill in and be productive bats at the big league level at times. And that's what the Royals could use right now. You know, Kelvin Gutierrez not hitting at all. It'd be nice to have a guy with his defensive ability to just be able to plug in and have a WRC plus of like 90. So just don't be a black hole in the lineup. You can be not good. Just don't be really bad. And right now the Royals don't have that. Could Emmanuel Revere be that? Maybe. Could he be a league average hitter? Maybe. His approach is going to you know, make that difficult, but maybe. Um, anyway, Ryan McBroom hit his organization leading 14th home run. Um, he's continued to hit for a lot of power in Omaha. Which take that for what it's worth. He's not walking at all. He's striking out a little too much, but he is hitting for a lot of power. So there's that. Um, Grant Gavin had a good week on the mound. I think he had two outings, like four or five strikeouts and only one earned run. I I don't have that pulled up in front of me. Um, but yeah, that is uh, that's what I got for. Oh, Daniel Lynch. We got to talk about Daniel Lynch real quick. Daniel Lynch has been okay. He allowed nine hits in four innings the other night. I mean, his stuff is just. I, I really don't know how to put a put a finger on it. Um, you know, I, I I've met, I've talked about Coar. I've talked about Lacey in some detail. I really don't know what to make of Daniel Lynch right now. He's not giving up a bunch of home runs he did give up a few to byron buxton um but outside of you know a major league all-star he's been okay at keeping the ball in the yard just getting hit around a little bit not missing a whole lot of bats so um there's some good there's some bad with daniel lynch down in omaha but um doesn't look like he's dominating the way that would get him back into a big league rotation by like july or anything
0: yeah, I, I have nothing to add here. I think you hit it all in the head. Emmanuel Rivera has been a great story, and it's good to see him have that kind of success. Whether, you know, what it translates to as a big league player kind of remains to be seen, but it, it's encouraging and good to see some of the, the stuff we've seen from him, especially the power, really start to come through. And some of those bat to ball skills still translate a little bit, but yeah, that, that walk rate is going to be a problem, I think, once he gets to the big leagues, the, the pitch selection aspect of it. it teams are going to be able to pick them apart. but I still expect there's a chance we're going to see him in Kansas City sometime in the near future. I don't know whether it's this year or next year, but he's going to be a big league ball player in some capacity. Uh, you know, We'll just we'll just see where it goes.
1: Yep. yep. That's all I got for the recap this week. Um, you want to jump straight
0: into our trip to Omaha here? Let's do it, man. That, that was a ton of fun because it came together on, like, Wednesday afternoon. You texted me and were like, yo, Rocker's throwing on Saturday. Let's go. I'm like, let's do it and all came together and uh, one one of your your buddies you've known for a long time he joined us on the trip and we drove up on uh, like early you know early afternoon on Saturday hung out at a bar for a little bit or downtown Omaha hit the ballpark village and then went in and watched a, a great baseball game between Vanderbilt and Arizona Kumar Rocker was on the mound it if Vanderbilt ended up winning uh, seven to six in twelve innings, so we we were going to go to one game. I think we got our money's worth, that's for sure. But man, as I was talking about earlier, like there's nothing like Omaha and going to a game like that. Uh, you know, every once in a while you'll go to a game or you'll see a stadium and you'll get chills when you walk through that home plate gate, and it's really dark in the concourse, and you just see the field right as you walk about three steps in. And I got that, I, I got those chills, which. It doesn't, you know, it happens often enough for me as many baseball games as I've been to, but it's Omaha and TD Ameritrade Park. I know it's not Rosenblatt. It's still a very special place for college baseball and baseball as a whole. Damn near sold out crowd, incredible atmosphere. It was, it was one of the best baseball games I've been to in a very long time.
1: Yeah. Five hours worth of really good baseball. Um, you know, we 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 went up we went up there to A celebrate the College World Series and, and to see Kamar Rocker. But B, um, you know, one of my favorite things about the College World Series and living in Kansas City is that like you said, on on a whim on Wednesday night, hey, you wanna go to the game Saturday? Sure. Book a hotel, get the tickets, and then we can leave Saturday around lunch, get there in time to hang out at a brewery for um what was it like?
0: That's like two hours. Yeah. I mean, no free, no free ads, but shout out to Zipline Brewing in Omaha. Like, they make some good stuff. If you're up in that area for the College World Series, it's a block from the stadium, like, right across the street. So, if you're the, you have the chance to go there, hit them up for sure.
1: Yeah, that, was, that place was absolutely fantastic. Um, and then, you know, you can walk to the game. Like you said, it's a block away. Walk to the game, hop in an Uber, and you're back to your hotel. We were home Sunday morning at, like, 1030. Um, in fact, it was. It's such an easy trip for those of us in Kansas City that I may go again. Um, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about anyway going again for the final series if if the cards fall right. If I can get like a rocker and a Bednar or a lighter and a Madden, some kind of matchup like that in the final series, I'm I'm, I'm hoping I get to go again. But regardless, it's just it's so easy and it's it's such a cool venue. Like because like we talked about earlier, it's all the different fans that are there not just specifically rooting for their team, but taking in good baseball like we were Um, just there enjoying a really good baseball game. You can't really describe the college world series to someone who's never been um, because it is, it is one of the most unique atmospheres in all of sports. It's like the NCAA tournament for like a week and a half. I mean, truly like, and I, and I don't just mean like the final four. I mean, it's borderline like the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament for a week and a half, just because of all the different things that can happen because of the tents and the community that's going around outside, all the people that are there, the, um, the, they had, they had the beer garden right outside of the stadium with, you know, a big stage They had a concert Saturday night. So, um, just a really cool event. Um, it's, it's one of the most unique sporting events in in the in the, in the country every year, and it's it just happens to be a few hours down the road. I want to talk about Kamar Rocker real quick because I know everybody's going to be, you know, itching to get get our thoughts. I'm going to write up some more detailed thoughts about Kamar Rocker. Um, those will hopefully be online tomorrow, if not Wednesday. But didn't look super comfortable in the first inning. Um, I you know hate to use too many terms or act like I got a great look at him sitting in the stands. I need to go back and watch that game on, on, the, on the camera just to verify, you know, what I think I was seeing. But looked to be flying open a little bit, just didn't look like he was in a groove, and he gave up three runs in the first. Um, comes back out in the second, settles down, and absolutely dominated one of the best offenses in the entire country for the next five innings or four innings. And then was it the sixth inning he gave up that home run or the seventh? The sixth, maybe.
0: Yeah, it was that, yeah, it was that sixth inning because he was cruising, like sh- retired 13 in a row after that. The, he gave up four hits before he gave, got two outs and three runs and then shut down 13 in a row and then uh, hit a batter with two strikes and then first pitch gave up a, a home run to crap. I know he's number 42. I can't remember his name for Arizona, but the dude okay. absolute hit an absolute missile out to right center.
1: Yeah, I can't remember his first name, like Ryan Holgate maybe. but Something uh, like that, yeah. Really good-looking swing. And I'll tell you, I was really impressed with Arizona freshman, second baseman Jacob Berry.
0: Oh, He was a two-hole for Arizona.
1: Yeah. That dude, I I had seen him play in the Super Regional. I may have even watched him play in the Regional. But I don't think I saw <clears> – <throat> excuse me, I don't think I saw him in the regular season. So it was it was fun to get an eye on him. It was fun to kind of see what, you know, was up with – the Arizona, I was really impressed with their starting pitcher. He went out there and pitched the game of his life, I'm sure, um, holding Vanderbilt down for as as long as he anybody could hold Vanderbilt down for, except for this kid pitching for NC State, apparently. So, um, anyway, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch. And um, if I'm not back again this year, I will certainly 100% be back next year.
0: Yeah, it, it was really fun and interesting going to the game that we did because the last time I was with the College World Series was in 2016 – and my friend and I that I went with, we had planned the trip months in advance. And it just so happened that Oklahoma State made it to the College World Series. And that's where I went to school. So I was there not only for the, the other seven teams, but to cheer on my team. And I got to watch them play twice uh, in the first game and then the winner's bracket game uh, in game two. And so I had my fan tense moments in those games. I didn't have that. I was just there to watch a ball game and to be – as impartial as I could half rooting for Vandy just cause I wanted to see rocker do well, but to sit there and give standing ovations and cheer and be a, just a fan of the game for those 12 innings and watch some really good baseball and some good stuff happen was very cool. And whether your school is in the college world series or not go up for a weekend and catch a ball game. Now, there's two games a day. So you could catch four games on a weekend and you may not see your school, but you're going to watch some awesome baseball in an incredible atmosphere, watching kids play some of the biggest games of their baseball lives. And for some guys, the peak of their baseball career, because not, not, not everybody goes pro. Not everybody has the opportunity to go and even play an A ball. So you're watching guys play their asses off to go and get a national championship for their school. It's an incredible time for a multitude of reasons. And only some of the ones that I mentioned, there are so many beyond even stuff that I can comprehend right now that, that make the College World Series and baseball at in Omaha so great. Yeah, I, it'd
1: be hard to put it any better than you just did. It is, like I said, it's one of my favorite events of the entire year, so yeah. I was glad you we were able to make it up.
0: Yeah, I will say one point on Rocker that I think, you know, he did not have his best stuff. His velocity was still, like – 90 to 93 hit 94 a couple of times he didn't always have the greatest feel for his breaking ball i mean it still was there in the he was just getting by on just pure stuff and to still retire excuse me to still retire 13 in a row uh and still pitches keep his team in the game as much as he did was impressive and for most guys on that stage in the first inning of a game very well it could have it could have ruined the rest of the game for Vanderbilt giving up three in the first inning your ace is on the mound getting shelled and it didn't have that And he goes out retires 13 in a row in with efficiency I think he threw 35 pitches in the first inning we looked up in the fifth and he had thrown 70 pitches it was remarkable the the turnaround that he had uh overall there which tells me a lot about the mental makeup and some of those intangible things that you can't quantify. You can look at his spin rate and his velocity and some of those stuff. So there's other things, but the things that make him a pitcher too, and the ability to pitch through not having your best stuff and still get outs and shove says a lot about who Kamar Rocker is as a as a baseball player, aside from some of those numbers that are very easy to grab at and try and make critiques about.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It is it's obvious. Um you know, and you were talking about – or my buddy that went with us, he had never seen the uh, video of, of Rocker yelling at the Duke dugout his freshman year after oh, they had that.
0: yes.
1: So we were – I was showing him the video of Rocker throwing that uh, no-hitter and, and hyping up and getting, getting chippy with the Duke dugout after that famous or the infamous offensive meeting. And just his competitiveness and his drive and his makeup on the mound, like you said, is – it is so impressive. You're not going to have to worry about him. Um, mentally, it's just kind of physically. There, are, there are definitely some things he's got to work on. Just with any college baseball player, there's you know things they they got to work on. Um, nobody really jumps from college baseball into the All Star game, so um, there are certainly you know steps he'll take, and he'll go to High A like Ace Lacey did, and work his way from High A to Double A, and um, just like anybody else. But my gosh, man, it is it is really, really fun to watch him play baseball.
0: Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. There's almost part of me that is, like, kind of glad we saw him the way he, that we did rather than if he went out, like, eight shut and, thir- and had, like, 13 or 14 strikeouts. Like, that obviously would have been cool, but I don't think we would have seen kind of beyond, you know, the stuff that, that's beyond some of those numbers, right? That we would notice some of those, like, oh, he's flying open and doing some of these other things. Like, we watched him make adjustments in-game and still pitch around some of those moments. And uh, it, was, it was very impressive. And I, I was very impressed as well that half the time in between innings, the first dude out of the dugout to congratulate and high-five his teammates and slap him on the ass was Kumar Rock. Like, it could have been easy after you give up a two-run bomb and you're down five to three to just stalk and sit there. But that wasn't the case at all. He was still there, one of the biggest, you know, had a, had a big smile on his face and was having fun with his teammates and cheering them on and, you no know, top row of the dugout. That It's one of those, again, it's those intangible things that tells you a lot about who he is as a player.
1: Couldn't agree more.
0: All right, well, you talked about Grant Gavin earlier. Uh, we're going to talk to him on the other side of this break about uh, his year in Omaha. This will be technically the second time he's been on the show because the first episode that we recorded with him was Lost to the Ether. Uh, sorry about that one, folks. But uh, I think you're going to enjoy this. He's a really good guy, uh, you know, Talk to him, you know, in tweets and stuff like that. And he's really funny on Twitter and and just a a good overall dude that hopefully uh, you'll see in Kansas City very soon. So, we're going to talk to him on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. Alex and I are now joined by Omaha Storm Chasers relief pitcher Grant Gavin. Uh, Having a really good year so far. Uh, Off day before you all head to uh, Iowa to face the Iowa Cubs. How are you doing, man?
2: Good. Yeah, Just relaxing on my off day.
0: What, what have you done today? Is, was there any, like, going to the park, or was it just like a full, like, decompressed, get ready for the week?
2: No, no. Every Monday we have just le- nothing, just on your own. Sometimes it's like a travel day. But, uh, yeah, since I was close, we just get to spend the whole day at home and do whatever. So what I've done is uh, I've played video games.
0: <laughs> well, what, what's the game of choice? What, what, what are you doing to get your mind right? Uh, Warzone. Okay. See, I feel like yeah. that's not very good for the mind because I know a lot of people that talk about that, and it's just rage central.
2: Exactly, but
0: <laughs> that's that's somehow the way I uh, relax nowadays. <laughs> it'll, it'll give you something to, like to get like angry to think about when you're on the mound, so you can just throw the crap out of your fastball or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, why did I die to that bot?
2: <laughs> I'm going to throw this
1: up and in. <laughs> Speaking of. Um, I got to ask you, so you, uh, I think you were pitching against St. Paul, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, and there were a couple curveballs that you threw that ended up being strikeouts that were up to the hitter, and both times you got a hitter leaning or froze because the pitch is up, curveball breaks down back into the zone, and it was funny. Somebody, I don't know, somebody tweeted at us and said, that's a bad pitch. It was up in the zone. Like, guarantee you, if you ask him, he didn't mean to throw that there, so I'm... I'm asking you, is, you know, Lucas Giolito, I guess, for example, kind of is bringing, throwing, he throws his change up up in the zone on purpose. Like he'll throw his change up eye level and let it fall back into the zone. Is that something you do consciously is throw that breaking ball up? And is that, is that I mean, is that something you're doing on purpose?
2: No, but it's something I've always done. So it's like, it's a product more of, just how I how I release it. So I've noticed with my off-speed stuff, the, the best ones are the ones I obviously execute down and the action's really good and they go in the zone to out of the zone and get good chases and swing and miss. The next best ones are the ones that back up and catch the top of the zone because they freeze the hitter, both on my slider and my splitter. So like, because they see it out of your hand up and they... And they go, oh, that's a ball. But then if the action's there, then it catches the top of the zone, and you either get one, a, a really, like, panic swing or a take. So generally, you're getting good outcomes because no one sees it up, in the, up and says, oh, yeah, that's going to come back down in the zone and gets really timed up with it. The worst ones I throw are the ones that just slightly hang up, like thigh high and catch a lot of plate. And then, like the hitters see it in the zone all the way, and the break isn't as sharp. So, if <laughs> in short, like if you're going to throw a backup, you want it to really back up. <laughs> you don't want it to be like kind of close, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. And that's and that's something that I wasn't going to spend time arguing arguing with someone over the internet about. But it's interesting yeah. to me. Chris Paddock does it a lot too. It's you know I would have never. I don't know that I'd ever teach a high school baseball kid. Um, hey, we, I want you to throw your change up, up in the zone. Let's see what happens.
2: But no, I, that's, not, that's not something I try to do. It's just you throw it with conviction, and sometimes it ends up there. And when you do throw it with conviction, like the action is generally going to be good. So whether it's up in the zone, down in the zone, like the action is what's going to dictate a good result instead of like Hey, hey! Just throw it down, like. But no, if you just flip it in there, down, like anyone can throw their barrel down there. Like you want it to be sharp and hard, or like you know you want it to move because that's what's going to get you the
1: out. You mentioned your changeup. I I heard you on eight ten the other day, kind of talking about how Larry Carter walked you through it, and you know came to you and said, "Hey, we want you to try this." And um, can you describe a little bit about how different? throwing a changeup with a split grip is and compare it to compare it to a changeup that you threw previously. And because I think, I think maybe a lot of baseball fans take new pitches and they only think about, well, okay, he throws a fastball. So a changeup is just a new grip, throw it, blah, blah, blah. But one thing that I remember specifically when they were talking about Jackson Coar and his curveball is you got to find the grip and the pitch that match what your other two pitches already do. So, like, we don't want to try to teach you a changeup that's going to somehow affect your curveball release, or look so different than your fastball curveball release that it's not worth that you're t- that you're you know tipping the pitch. So, what was you know walking walk us through that addition of a pitch and maybe how perfectly it fits your arm slot?
2: Yeah. So, I never really was able to have a good just traditional change up because I'm a guy that isn't good at like naturally over pronating and like letting the ball come out of the side of my hand like off my pinkies but like I was good at throwing a breaking ball because my I like my hand can turn inward really easily and I think that I the the more I think about it, it probably comes from playing football like like a football release, you know, just came natural to me. So, like, you know, baseball, you just fastball, you just stay behind it inside, and then like breaking ball, you just kind of throw it like a football, and that's kind of how I learned a breaking ball, and I've kind of morphed it over the years that way. But then the the changeup, I always struggled with because I couldn't get my my fingers to like do that at release, and without it like being really awkward or whatever. Um, so the splitter is just like something you just, you just grip and then you throw it exactly like your fastball. And they, when they came to me and said that they wanted me to throw that, they, it was like, they're like, we think this is going to be really good and natural for you because you're a guy who throws with aggression and you like to really throw the crap out of your pitches. And that's exactly what a splitter is supposed to be. Like you want to just get the grip and you want to throw it hard and let, let the action dictate the pitch and you're not really trying to be too cute with it. So, I mean, they're right. And I, I worked on it, worked on it, and it's it's developed over the past couple of years.
0: How long did it take throwing that pitch in side sessions and bullpens and the offseason and stuff to kind of have that aha moment where you really felt it work? Um, Honestly, like
2: to get one good one to where you're like, all right, that, like that could be a thing. It probably within the first, like two or three times playing catch with it. But then like you take it into a side and you're like, Oh, you, you just like threw two of them that slipped out of your hand. And then like (laughs) one was kind of good. So like you kind of refine, I refined it over like the course of a couple months. So I, I started working on it in like May of 2019 I didn't take it into a game until like August, like mid August of 2019. So it was about a two and a half month process, and to where I was like, okay, I can break one of these out in a game. But my pitching coach kept telling me, he, he, if you asked him, he probably would have said it was ready before that because he was like, he would see it like whenever I was working on stuff. He'd be like, hey, throw that thing in the game, you know? Screw it, you know? Let's just see what see what it's got. But I was, like, pitching well. I was like, no, 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 I feel good with what I'm doing. And then finally I got, I broke it out at the very end of the
1: season that year. How hard does that abandon what you know as a pitcher? Because we talk about it in development all the time. Like, I think Andrew Benintendi is a good example. Andrew Benintendi came up from minor leagues out of Arkansas. And for the first two, three years of his career – kind of was what he was. I don't want to say he plateaued, but he kind of reached offensively a plateau of like, this is kind of who he is. And so I think the logical next step in his development, you know, the coaches in Boston went to him and said, Hey, we want you to hit for more power. And here's how we're going to do that. Well, that backfired. He was not very good. the Last couple of years in Boston, got hurt in 2020. I don't remember what his injury was specifically comes to Kansas city. And they say, Hey, let's just do what you do really, really well. So, Apply this to your changeup. You know, if the fastball curveball is what you had done, do you feel like you would hit some kind of point in your career where it was like, "Hey, if I don't throw this changeup, then maybe I don't take it to the next level." But if I do try to throw this changeup, I'm afraid I could lose my curveball or anything like. This. Like, do any of those thoughts go through your head, or is it just kind of, "Yeah, whatever. I'm going to throw this pitch, and if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work." Or was there, any, was there any moment in, in the development of that changeup where you thought this pitch is either going to unlock a new level for me or maybe not? Yeah, I definitely thought about it that way. It's like there's a lot of potential here
2: because when I would get in trouble back then when I was only fastball slider, it was because guys could dive out over the plate and cheat on my slider if I – went into a long at bat and I had to throw them four or five. And then like, you know, it's, it's hard to get them off that. They've seen it. So now I, I was like, I really liked the possibility of having two off-speed pitches that move opposite directions because they can't cheat on one. So, but uh, to answer your other question, I never really was worried about losing my breaking ball by working on a splitter because of how similar the the intent is on a fastball and the, the arm action. You, know, you don't change your arm action also. It's just, I'm just throwing a fastball with a different grip, basically. Like, I don't see it any different than, like, probably some people would throw, like, a two-seam and a four-seam, maybe.
1: That makes sense. It's, it's <laughs> hear a lot of, specifically about, like, Brady Singer's a good example of, well he's going to have to have the change up if he wants to get lefties out and that obviously hasn't been true to a you know to a certain extent it's been a little true but not like it hasn't impacted his career he's been really really good so far but certain fastballs certain breaking balls play differently and you know I don't want to say that it was you know you have to develop a change up to get lefties out or to, to pitch more innings because it's certainly not Marion Rivera threw one pitch and made it work. Um, but do you think the changeup has made it easier for you? Like, what was it? Was it yesterday you threw three innings? Like, does, do you think the changeup has made it yeah. easier for you to throw more innings, like in longer relief rolls? Uh,
2: I'd say, uh, for a general rule of thumb, yes. Uh, yesterday, honestly, was probably the worst my splitter had been all season, and I, I think I executed maybe, like, two of them my entire outing, so I honestly didn't really have it in my last like, inning or two and, but I feel like the threat of it was there enough because I, I it's on my scouting report, and I threw a few in the first inning, so, like, no one got off of it, but my slider was really good, and it got me through those innings, but generally, like, I think I've gone three-ish innings like four or five times this year, and that's generally been the case is like I would get a lot of quick or cheap outs with throwing a splitter in a fastball count and get a, get a quick pop-up, quick ground out, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has helped when you're throwing a lot of at-bats like nine or ten in an outing, like you, you're going to need more – in my opinion, than just a fastball slider, unless it's just on that day. If that makes sense.
0: Uh, you mentioned that you had you really only executed a couple of those pitches. You can tell you really didn't quite have it with the split that day. From a just a general pitching perspective, I'm curious, you know, what kind of goes through your mind when you're on the mound when you know you maybe don't have one of your pitches, or you're not executing it the way that you know that you should. You know, how does that change the way that you attack every hitter? When you, probably, when you had a plan coming into the game of how you were going to do that, you know, either in the bullpen or, you know, pregame meeting, how does that change in-game and how quickly does that adjustment uh, come about?
2: Uh, so I'll, like, make note of – they give us, like, scouting reports on all the hitters, and I'll make note of the guys. I'll pretty much only remember, like, what I need to worry about. I'd be like, hey, you really don't want to throw this guy a down-and-end fastball or you really don't want to throw this guy – a down and in off-speed pitch. So I'll make note of that. It'll be like, okay, what do I want to stay away from? And then I'll remember that for those guys. And then I'll try and remember who's the aggressive hitters who I need to, like, start with off-speed stuff or who's patient who I can maybe get a fastball in there to start in that bag, get ahead. Um, But other than that, it's basically – I just take it one pitch at a time and, like, what's feeling like I can make the best, like, quality pitch on that pitch or – Like, if I'm trying to set something up for a strikeout, like, that's – like, if I want to go back to a slider away, I might go, okay, I'm going to throw a fastball up and in here. Like, not try and let it catch a plate. If they chase, they chase, whatever. But I want to go back to the slider on the next pitch. So, I'm going to make a purpose pitch right here, if that makes sense.
1: How do you balance – so, you're bringing a new pitch into the fold. Um, This was – so, 2019 year double-A in Northwest Arkansas. How do you balance wanting to be as best as you can to help your team win? You know, all the the things they say in baseball, like the Royals, you know, preach about winning, winning, winning in the minors so that when they get to the big leagues, they've done it before, right? It's obviously priorities number one and two, winning the game. But at some point in the minor leagues is also there's a development side. So adding a new pitch. You may get a lefty up there. Let's say the winning runs on second base, fouling off fastball, fouling off curveball, fouling off fastball, fouling off breaking ball, whatever it is. And you're like, "Hey, this is a great time in theory to break out the changeup. It could go really well. It's a new pitch, also a chance you hang it, and then you end up losing the game because of it. So, do you do you ever feel like there was a there's a tipping point of hey, I'm, you know, I need to worry about? the team and, and making sure I'm getting outs and doing right by them, but also trying to work on something and develop yourself. Cause I mean, obviously that's, that's the million dollar question for everyone in minor league baseball, but how do you, how do you think you were able to find situations to use it to be, to become more confident with it in games?
2: Yeah. So generally they tell you when you're in between the white lines, you do whatever you can to get outs and it's, we're competing That's what it's about. Um, Very rarely, I won't say it doesn't happen, but they, like, they will tell you, hey, you need to throw this, but for a guy in my situation, that's not really a thing anymore. Maybe, like, the first year I got drafted, or, like, to younger starters, they do that a lot, like, hey, we need you to work on this, I don't know, and then they take it out in the game, but... Uh, for guys like me, it's generally just results. Whatever you need to do to get results, that's what you do. And then, uh, and then to answer your question about working on it in game, whenever like I was like felt like it was ready, but I didn't know when I wanted to break it out. My pitching coach just said, "Hey, just throw it, just get ahead, and then throw it like 0-1, oh, and throw it because like, even if you bounce it, you're still in the count. Like don't don't start net at bat with it." Cause if you, you want to be in a position where you feel like you have control so you can just throw with conviction and like, you don't need to feel like it has to be a strike. You just want to be able to throw with conviction and see what happens. So like, I think I, I remember I threw it a lot, like oh one, one, maybe one, two, like just starting out just to see what it did. And then I kind of built it from there and kind of, if it felt good, I kept throwing it. If it didn't. And just wait until the next like situation. I felt like I could work, quote unquote, work on it without losing in that bat. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. enough of the, the serious stuff. So you guys have been um, back and forth and all over the place uh, so far this year. It's, it's. I'm sure it's been chaotic with them delaying the season and then you know the the six game the six game series. I can actually see some some pros and cons of um, compared to your prior minor league experiences really quick. Are you in favor of, or are you not liking the six game series?
2: I love the six game series. Honestly, like anything you can do to reduce travel. I'm all for
1: (laughs) so. Well, and it seems like an easy way to keep guys. I I don't know. a Good way to, to phrase, to keep guys focused or in tune when like you said when you're not on a eight-hour bus ride every third day um you know keep them in one spot keep them in the game better probably it has to be better on some of your guys legs especially for a lot of taller guys not having to be on a bus like i said eight hours every third day um
2: yeah it just makes way more sense logistically speaking like I mean, the old AAA, like, I was dreading going to AAA where in the Pacific Coast League, you could be playing in Omaha tonight and then you get on a 6 a.m. flight and you're playing in Spokane, or Tacoma, Washington, wherever. Like, you know, like, you're just flying all over the place. And there's no way that's good for your recovery. So, (laughs) like, I'm I'm so glad they switched it to this six-game series and more – regionally based cities so like our furthest trip we went to columbus and we flew but it was like one you got an off day which is huge to to fly on and it was maybe like an hour flight and another hour flight and you're there so it wasn't bad at all and our I, we've had a couple long bus rides we did bus back from we bussed from Columbus to Iowa. That was like a 10-hour bus ride, but everyone's – but again, you got an off day to do it, and that makes that way easier. So, like, the worst days that we used to have were, like, you'd have a 10- to 12-hour bus ride overnight, and then you would play a game the next day, and nobody feels good going in that situation. And you would assume that that would just be a breeding ground for
1: injuries. Yeah. So, I think the the biggest difference in, at AAA for – guys that are getting triple a for the first time and, and why it is important. You know, people talk about taking guys from A to the big leagues, but one reason it's important to get to triple a is you guys, guys like Brent Rooker, um, who have had big league time or they're just like career minor leaguers who, you know, like a four, a bat like Ryan O'Hearn. I, I would hate to be, you know, a 22 year old kid getting the triple a for the first time and in steps Ryan O'Hearn. Um, I, I, being that triple a again you have those those types of guys have you learned anything facing those types i know brent rooker got you the other day um like of just how careful you have to be to the hitters the next level because again you can you might be able to miss to the nine hole but if you miss even a little bit to to one of those 4a types they're going to hit it out of the park so is, has it has it Kind of shown you how how fine you have to be with with your command every single pitch to some of those guys, or or do you feel like maybe that's hasn't quite set it uh, anyway yet?
2: Yeah, so I just feel like that, like in that specific situation when I gave up a home run to Brent Rooker, that makes me feel like I just need to execute my scouting report better because on my scouting report it was don't throw him a splitter down and an in. I got to a 3-2 count, and I said, I'm going, to throw, I'm going to throw my best pitch. So I threw him a down and in splitter, and it, that's just right into his, bear, like his bat path. And, you know, he, he timed it up, whatever, like I'll tip my cap. But in the dugout going into that inning, my pitching coach literally said, get ahead, throw him sliders. And I said, okay. And then I went out there, and I got behind, threw a splitter. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's a learning moment. Uh, Yeah, go ahead,
0: Joel. So I'm curious the the mental side of being in AAA when you know the major leagues are it's that next step. Like it's not like you know, even if you get called up in A ball, you're still in the minors. You're still far enough away from the bigs that there's still there's still time there. But you know, you could be a good week or ten days from getting called up to the big leagues. Is that something you ever kind of sit back and think about? Or is it just no? I'm going to go and execute today, and if it happens, it happens. Like, I, how do you balance that? Like, I'm really, really close to the show, but I still got to execute down here.
2: Uh, I'm going to say no oh, because I'm generally I'm I'm very focused on all right. When's my next outing? I got to be prepared for my next outing. Like, be mentally ready to go you know tomorrow or wednesday whenever i'm going to throw again um do whatever you need to do to get yourself feeling good for that i'm not like oh i need if i have two or three more maybe they'll call me up to the big leagues because like i've seen guys have success in triple i in our own organization for extended period of time and not get called up it's like there's so many factors that go into getting called up especially to the major leagues like um, you can't worry about any of that stuff. And the only thing you can do is you pitch as well as you possibly can. And you keep doing it for long enough to where you give them no other choice. And that's just kind of how I'm going to go about it. And the only way I know how to do that is, okay, I got to have a good outing tomorrow. Okay, I, I had a good outing. It's so, like, all right, now I need to go to sleep and get prepared to ha- do it again. <laughs> and you just got to be a machine and you got to keep going and keep going. And it's, it's boring. You can't be like looking ahead to you know, what might come, because it could come, I mean, it could come anytime soon,
1: or it could come in years, you don't know, so. I heard, um, I think, you were on Stephen St. John, right? Yeah. I heard him ask you about the, um, you know, have an Esky playing shortstop for you, that's, I I didn't, I hadn't, I, I know we had talked about it, but I hadn't really thought about it like in depth, but, you know, back in, like looking back, you know, watching those runs and Escobar being right in the middle of it and, huh, you know, just the, how, how integral of a part he was in those playoff runs. And then, you know, you turn around and he's playing shortstop for you. That was a pretty good question. Stephen asked you. So for anybody who may have missed that, like, you know, was there a moment when you step, when you got out on the mound and you turn around and you like, you know, you go to point your finger for a double play like you're not pointing at Jackson Schnurbush anymore. It's Alcides Escobar. <laughs> it's a little bit of a it's a little bit different, I would imagine. Um, just having to look back and actually communicate that this is this is who I'm getting ready to turn a double play with is the guy who hit the home run, the inside the park home run in Game One of the 2015 World Series.
2: Yeah, no, it's. Uh... I don't know, it, it, it's hard to describe, but, like, he, he gives a little extra, like, pick-me-up. He's just got that veteran presence, especially, like, guys like us where, like, you just feel, like, the experience from a guy like him and even Anthony Swarzak, who was here. Like, the guys like that you know have considerable show time. You're like – if they, like, give you a pick-me-up or, like, hey, man, you look good today or, like – or and Escobar's words, hey, Poppy, way to go, good inning. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> – I'm like yeah, man, that guy was a ALCS MVP. I, I was freaking, I was I was at the game when you won that. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> I'm like I was. I, you you kind of step back and you're like, oh wow, that was cool. Or like you know, Swarzak. He would talk to all the relievers a lot and like if I'd have a good outing, he's like, man, you He's like, you're so good. And I'm like, yeah, heck yeah. Nine year big leaguer just told me I'm really good. That's <laughs> those kind of di- those kind dig- of are some it, sessions.
0: When, oh sorry. But those are like the dig me session moments that you need. Like those are kind of like case like yourself moments. Like that's good stuff to have like at any moment.
2: Yeah, of course. You know, like it's just – it just carries a little more weight when it comes from then sure. than it does when when uh, Jace
1: Vines tells it to me. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody listening that doesn't know, were you in Vines? Do you remember – were you guys drafted in the same class? Yeah. So, Vines is a uh, 2016 – Draftee at a Texas A&M. He's also working out of the bullpen uh, there in Omaha. So Grant and Jace are part of the same draft class. Um, Grant, last uh, question I have for you: Did you did you get to face Byron Buxton at all when he was with St. Paul?
2: No, I didn't. I missed him. Uh, I I uh, Kepler that my last outing there, so I got to face one of their big leaguers. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I couldn't remember. I was trying to look back at your game logs, and I couldn't find specifically within, you know, a less than five-minute span specifically who you yeah. faced. I know, I know Buxton did come in and, and hit really well in a game or two against you guys. And, again, being in AAA, is you get the benefit of that. I know the Royals sent Mondesi to AA for his rehab assignment, but I think most guys, especially with Minneapolis and St. Paul, Obviously, being right there next to each other, um, you know, being in AAA, you get to see those guys when they're on the rehab assignments. So that's pretty cool. Um, hey, a cool experience would be a good learning experience. Of hey, again, you know, here's the the fine line, the difference between pitching against Byron Buxton or you know the whoever's hitting ninth and uh, maybe a you know filling in at second base that day. So um, pretty cool, and like I said, just a probably obviously a good learning experience.
2: Yeah, you know, if, if I do face a guy like that, I'll probably – you go you go about it as like, all right, this is a good, like, barometer for where, you know, these are the guys you got to get out if you want to pitch at that next level. So you got to bring your best stuff and, you know, you just open – you just take that uh, that challenge with open arms and be ready for it.
0: That's awesome. Grant, thank you for being so gracious with your time. Uh, Best of luck this week in Des Moines facing the Iowa Cubs. Uh, Before we get out of here, I asked you this question on the first time you were on this podcast, but the episode is gone forever. Um, If you could go back and watch one moment in baseball history live in person, which one is it?
2: Oh, man.
0: Uh,
2: I'd have to say uh, the... George Brett pine tar game that uh, I'm a, I'm a fan of a good uh, umpire interaction. So
0: <laughs> I I would I think, think
2: that would have been, I think that would have been really cool to be in spitting distance. of a
0: <laughs> I think for me, I would have loved to be like in the third deck nosebleeds and have no clue what's going on. And then to see George Brett just run out like a dipshit just out of the dugout, just like have no idea what's going on, why he's running out what's going yeah. on. I think that'd be funnier than knowing why.
2: <laughs> probably. But now that I'm like, I, you know what happened, oh, I, yeah. I, I wanted to hear, I want to hear the expletives that were coming out of both sides. So that, I think that's the best part of baseball, in my opinion,
0: is <laughs> the there, few there, times we get in, interactions like that. <laughs> there were probably more expletives than like coherent sentences said in that moment if I had to get <laughs> it. I will say, I have heard that's more.
1: Fine. <laughs> <laughs> More like randomly awkward things come out of people's mouths when they're talking to umpires or umpires talking to coaches than maybe any other. Like for what was it? Was it it was Terry Collins that oh, famous video with Cinder Guard throwing? You know, our ass is in the jackpot, Terry. It's like the what? And then Aaron Boone coming out mm-hmm. to argue with that umpire. There's that other famous video. He's like, my guys are savages in the box. It's like. Doing what, like they're, like they're okay. It's just like some of the some of the things you hear umpires and coaches say to each other when it's when it's not that heated. I can only imagine, like you said, the expletives that were coming out of. I don't know if George Brett, you you
2: know, yeah,
1: you don't get a script when you get when
2: you go out and start yelling at umpires so it, it's any whatever's on the cuff is
0: what's coming out
2: i guess
0: <laughs> well, in scenario like i that had to have been if, i bet if you asked Brett now what he said or what went on like nothing because he blacked out the minute that he left the dugout like in a dead sprint <laughs> toward a toward, uh, wendel stat my god that's it's still so great uh, my my wife we just moved to kansas city she a couple of years ago she had no idea what the pine tar incident was i just pulled up a youtube video and she goes That might be one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Like, yep, yep. That's one of the most iconic moments of baseball history. And that's not a lot to do with the game itself at that point. At that that point, that was just rage. Exactly. (laughs) Good stuff. Well, Grant, thank you so much for joining us again. We'd love to have you on uh, sometime soon. Best of luck this week. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll see where things go. I appreciate your time, man.
2: All right. Thank you. Good talking to you guys. Absolutely.